Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this podcast, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. McNamara on Money is heard on six continents and in more than 50 countries worldwide. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my father, Mike McNamara. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you today? Good, thank you. We're not looking too professional so no. far. Are we here or what? <laughs> That's, I'm not used to your intro into It's okay. This isn't your real job, so no, don't sweat it's, it. Yeah, it's thank goodness. Yeah. It's a weekend. It's, yeah. yeah. All right. What are we talking about this morning? I know we're continuing on our show from a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about what risks are you willing to take? And I think we're going getting right into inflationary risk, right? Yeah, let me do a a recap for those who didn't catch the show the last time we did this. There are four big risks that investors face throughout their entire lives. Two of them have to do with the stock and bond markets, and two of them have to do with your life. In the last show, we talked about the two risks that you deal with as an investor and in the markets. And, and quite simply, they're default okay, and volatility. And so a quick recap is important before we get going here. So it, it's pretty simple. If you owned one company in your 401k plan and it went out of business, I think you're in deep trouble when it comes to retirement. Okay, So a, a company going out of business, going to zero, disappearing from the face of the earth, catastrophic risk. And by the way, how do you deal with that? So easy, it's unbelievable. You buy a whole bunch of companies in most diversified portfolios, okay, sponsored by most major investment firms. Folks would own hundreds, if not thousands of stocks in their portfolio. And so it's wicked easy, pardon me for launching into that, but to to take care of the default risk by owning bunches of companies, different sizes and different areas. Easy peasy, folks. The second investor risk is volatility. Volatility, yep, it's the up and the down price movement of a stock or a bond. We found that out last year, by the way, in grand style. As a matter of fact, U.S. bond market was down 13% last year. That doesn't happen too often. So again, the technical definition is that volatility is the fluctuation in price of a thing around a mean. Okay, And all that means is that stocks and bonds from day to day go up or down. That up or downness is usually caused by the people or the institutions that are in those markets. And at the risk of being very generic, if people are feeling good about their future of the world, they're usually buyers of stocks and prices go up. And if people are feeling not so good about the future of the world, they're usually sellers okay, of stocks as prices go up. And so that volatility is due to the human and institutional interference into the market. And it can be really exciting at times. Nobody ever gets excited if you have an upward 20% return in your portfolio. But if you have a downward volatility 20%, that's a different story. And, and so, folks, the, the short answer is that stocks 
go up over the long run because of their ability to earn money and what's going on in the stock market in any given day that doesn't relate a, a whole lot to that at whatsoever. So, so that's just where it is, folks. Uh, the, the, the long-term future of companies is based on their earnings, and we don't have much to say about that, but we have to deal with it every day okay, inside okay, uh, of our investments. And when it comes to volatility, it's pretty easy. Alyssa, it comes with the deal. If you want to make a certain return, you have to have a certain amount of risk, and that risk is the up-and-down movement okay, of stocks, plain and simple, and bonds as well. How am I doing so far? Any uh, additions to that? No additions to that. I had a thought several points ago, but then I lost it because you just you kept going and going, which is great. Nope. No I'm sorry. What can I tell you? Okay, I didn't so, want to interrupt you. Yeah. So I, I don't mean to be casual, folks. Okay, but those two risks: default, easy to take care of; volatility, you you can. You can adjust that some degree by the combination of stocks and bonds that you have in your portfolio. But if you want to earn a return, okay, you have to have upward volatility to do that. Okay. And so it comes with a deal that if you have a down once in a while. Okay. Tough for people to get used to. I think even if people know that in their brains, but it's, it's tough to experience it. It's easier said than done dealing with downward volatility yeah i I understand and the upward volatility you mentioned that no one gets excited about upward volatility i I think you meant nervous or or worried but obviously but it's it seems like the upward volatility the earnings or the growth no matter how big the number is no matter how good the markets are in a good year it's almost it's almost like i was gonna say it's almost like it's expected it's not people are surprised by downward volatility i.e. nervous worried by downward volatility and anytime it happens it's well it's uncomfortable but it's also I don't know unexpected I think and or emotionally unexpected anyway but the upward volatility when it happens even if it's twice the long-term average it's just I don't know I think people take it for granted a little bit and it's a totally different mindset than than volatility on the downs on the downside one must human nature. Human nature yeah. is not well suited for volatility or investing. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we must learn to deal with that yeah. if we choose to be growing our wealth. Yep. Plain and Okay, so anyway, folks, if you want a deeper dive into that, the show before this, the first half of the two shows, gets into that a bit more. But today we're going to... Okay, so we're leaving the financial markets risks and we're going to risks in the real world. And those risks are inflation and taxes. And everybody worries to death about volatility and and the stock market, but not a whole lot of people pay much attention to taxes and, and or inflation, actually. And my problem is that both of those risks, I think, are bigger than the financial risks that folks bear. I think it's much, if you want to worry about two of these four risks, worry about the ones we're talking about today because I'm pretty sure taxes are guaranteed okay, to happen. So that's a guaranteed risk, although people don't know much about that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, and inflation is pretty much a guaranteed risk, okay? And we don't think too much about that. When it goes a little higher, we complain, but we don't think about the compounding effects of inflation over time. Mm-hmm. So the, the short story, and this is like a, a, a mantra here, if, if you want to preserve your wealth, 
Okay, here's the macroeconomic point here. I'll let the cat out of the bag before we get started here, folks. If, if you want to pres- just preserve your wealth, your portfolio has to keep up with taxes and inflation and earn at least as much as taxes and inflation take away from you. If you do that, you preserve your wealth. If you want to grow your wealth, you have to make more than taxes and inflation take away from you. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. Make more than taxes and inflation take away from you. Oh, that's the mantra, folks. And please don't ever lose that. Okay, taxes and inflation over the long run will kill you. And I'll go over some particularly uh, interesting circumstances w- right now. Anything you want to so, add to that? Yeah, I agree with you that this is these are the risks that people should worry about. Unfortunately, they're for the most part, completely out of someone's control. Whereas volatility risk and default risk, there are certain things, there are ways that you can position your portfolio to avoid or minimize those risks where there's really not much you can do in the way of controlling inflation other than being um, selective regarding spending habits, but you can't control inflation and you can't control taxes. There are very small things people can do to lower taxes in a given year, but it's generally very small and, and, and largely out of someone's control. So I agree it's worrisome, but there's not much people can do about it, unfortunately. See, I, there's, you know, you can control that to some extent. By the way, you deal with inflation and taxes by either making more, either your income or your investments, or spending less, or some combination, to some extent, okay? okay. Understand. Okay, it's so hard to, to get people to pay attention to inflation, and I think the easiest way to do that is to look backwards. So we're going to have a little fun. I'm going to quiz you right now, okay? Oh okay. So, so here's the deal, okay? We're going to talk about the cost of an average new car in America. Okay. We're going to go backwards, because it's a lot easier to see what inflation was than what we're going to guess it's going to be. Right. Okay. And it's a lot easier to see the compounding effects of inflation over time if we do that. So, take okay, I, I will make you guess this. In America today, by the way, all this is courtesy of Google and Siri. Okay, by the way. <laughs> and so, some of the exact numbers... Maybe we could argue about what an average new car is. Is it luxury? I I don't care, folks. We're talking about the big picture here. So all you have to do is go Google what I did the last couple hours yesterday. So here's the deal. In 2023, the average cost of a new car in America was $48,008. Okay. I'm glad you didn't let me guess because I was going to be way lower than that. Well, but that's the baseline. <laughs> you have to do some guessing now. Okay. Oh, okay. So, All right. right. $48,000. Okay. $48,000. Okay. So what you do is I'm going to look back 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, and because I grew up in the 60s, 60 years. Okay. So I'm going to go back and look at the new car prices in 2013, 10 years ago, 2003, 20 years ago. 1983, 40 years ago, and 1963. I was 13 years old and having a grand old time. I grew up in the 60s. That's why I picked that. But anyway, okay, this, this it's staggering when you look at it like this, but yeah. you don't think about it from year to year. Okay, so Alyssa, with a $48,000 bill in 2023, what's an average new car in America in 2013? Amir, 10 years ago. $37,000. Thirty-two thousand eight hundred. Wow, 
Okay, so we've had crazy high inflation on cars very recently. Yeah, think think about that. Yeah, so thirty-two thousand and eight hundred ten years ago to forty-eight. Wow. Okay, twenty years ago. I know the guess is good. Hard. Take a guess at two thousand and three. What the average new car cost? Oh, twenty-six thousand dollars. On the nose. Good for you. All right. In nineteen eighty-three, the cost of an average new car in America. Twenty-two thousand five hundred. Fourteen thousand. Oh wow! <laughs> All right, and wait, wait, in nineteen. 19- how much lower can it go? <laughs> <laughs> wait, but wait. I was trying to build in enough so that I could lower it further by the time we get to the sixties. <laughs> okay, okay. So in nineteen sixty-three, when I was thirteen years old, the average cost of a new car in America. Wait, what was the last number you gave me? Sixteen thousand was a year. 14000 in 1983. Oh, wow. Oh, 83. Oh, okay, okay. $8,000? $3,233. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. So let's go the other way. Yeah. Okay. If I bought a car in, at 13 in 1963, it was 3200 bucks. Okay. In 1983, 20 years later, it's $14,000. In 2003, 20 years later, it's $26,000. Okay, in 2013, it's $32,000, and now it's 48000 Folks, that's inflation, and going backwards is at least easy to get some statistics and see what the heck it does to you. Did you actually, you know, did, you do the, did you do the inflationary calculation? No, uh, I did not. I, I, I was almost afraid to do that. I think that <laughs> pretty substantially outpaces what inflation has averaged in that period yep. of time. I yep. think that's yep. more than a 4.5% per year inflation on a vehicle. Yeah, and you can I'll do that math again, but I think that that's... Yeah. Yeah, it, it, all, all, the, when people, it's a lot easier to talk about dollars on the radio <laughs> than percentages, if you know what I mean. But four point six percent per year inflation, where inflation on autos, if wow. whereas wow. inflation probably over that sixty-year period of time, CPI has probably been three percent or three point two percent. Yes, so folks, we've had a in- high inflation recently on autos because of supply issues yeah. and things like that, and the chip issues and stuff during COVID. But, but wow, it's a that's fact. Crazy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And it's but probably it's not going down. We're probably not going to have deflation on the cost of new cars. Maybe they'll hold steady for a little while, but they're not going to go down, I don't think. So the moral of the story, folks, is your, your income better keep up with inflation if you want to keep up. Because beyond a certain point, you can't do too much. Yeah. All right. Oh, let's do. Oh, let's do an, a fun one here. I'm only got, I've only got two more. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're going to take a look at the total cost of a year of education, room, board, and tuition. Oh, God. Okay. At at the University of Massachusetts. Okay. All right. Okay? Okay. Uh, um, Today, I'm sorry, 2023. Oh, I know this. I know this. Wait, don't tell me. I know this. This is room and board in-state at UMass, like Amherst? Yeah. Is that what we're doing? $34,000. (sighs) Thirty-one oh seventy-five. Okay. Twenty-four. Very good guess. All right. Okay. Thirty-one. Okay. 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 In two thousand and thirteen, what do you think? (sighs) Ten years ago, UMass twenty-five thousand. Wow. Okay. Thirty-two thousand eight ninety. Wait. What was? And what was? It didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, for, uh, I apologize. Thirty-one oh seventy-five. I wrong call. Twenty-three thousand six ninety-seven. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
23,000. Okay. okay, I was close. Yep. All right. All right yeah. Okay, and then go back to 2003. 18,000. Okay. In 2003, 13,980. Wow. Tuition really UMass. You got it. By the way, I took this right off the UMass yeah. list, right in the detail. Okay. Okay. In 1983, room board tuition, everything at UMass. One year. 40 years ago. Yeah. 8,000? 3926. Yes. And last and not least, in 19, this is unbelievable, in 1966. Oh my God, I don't know, 1,500 bucks? Sorry, 1963, I apologize. 1963, one year of room board and tuition at University of Massachusetts. Uh, 2,000 bucks. $1,044. So, like, way less than a car. <laughs> ah, there you go. Think about some of those relationships. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so folks, let me go the other way because the radio is tough to do. Okay, I'm going to recite okay, the total cost of a year's education okay, at the University of Massachusetts. Okay, in 1963, it was $1,044. In 1983, 20 years later, it was $3,926. Okay, 20 years after that, in 2003, it was 13980 Okay, and 10 years after that, or 2013, 23697 and last year, 31075 Okay, now so, it's your turn to guess. What do you think the average rate of inflation was over that 60-year period of time on a public education in Massachusetts? 6%. Oh, you're always good at these games. 58 <laughs> No kidding. 5.8%. Nope, I was right off the top of my head. Yeah, okay. but that, that's almost yeah. double probably what inflation yeah. has been. Yeah. CPI. And, and so it's just a yeah. great kind of, and I'll just read the numbers going from 1963, 1,044, 3,926, 13,980, 23,697, and 31,097. By the way, multiply all those times for folks, and, yeah. and you know them as well as I do. Did, okay? you, did you do private school education numbers? Those would be scary. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't <laughs> We want to make the you big picture point here. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah don't. The big picture point. Yeah. Okay. And then last, but not least by any stretch, average cost of a new home in America. Oh, okay. Are you ready for this one? Buckle up. All okay. right. Ready? Today, I don't know what it is. Today, across America? Yeah. Oh, today it's got to be 400000 425000 Okay. $412,000. Yeah. What a woman. All right. Yeah. Good guess. Yeah. Okay. And folks, again. This is across the country. Yeah, it's different in Massachusetts and it's different in Iowa. I, I, I get that, folks. We're making a big point here. The big point yeah. is inflation is going to kill you if you don't keep up with it. Okay. Anyway, so a new home, okay, right now $412,000 average new cost. Okay. In 2013, Liz, what are you thinking? Oh, we've had crazy inflation. We've had crazy growth on real estate. So it's got to be. Uh, 300,000, 290, 290,000. Close, 275. Uh, Good guess. Okay. Yep, yes. Yep. All right. So let's go back to 2003, 20 years from now. 412 today in 2003. What do you got? What was it 10 years ago? 270? 270. Uh, 190, 190,000. 
196. You're on a roll, girl. You're on a roll. I've been looking okay. at, it's been an interesting time to look at real estate. I've looked at these numbers yeah. relatively yeah. recently. Yeah. Okay. So in 1983, 40 years ago, average new home in America. 125. 92,100. Wow. wow. Okay. And going back to 1963, I won't uh, test you. 30,000? Okay. 19,300. Wow. Wow. All right. So, folks. I'm going to go forward, okay, in 1963, 19,300 bought you a, by the way, the first home I ever bought with your mom was in Brewster, Massachusetts in 1977. It was a $29,900 beautiful ranch built. Everything was great. So it's like six times the cost of a car, and that multiple is much higher now. Yeah, yeah. So, that's six great. times the cost of a car. Where now it's probably eight, or it's probably ten times the cost of yeah. that average car. Yeah, or yeah. eight anyway. So Nineteen thousand three hundred and sixty-three, ninety-two thousand in nineteen eighty-three, a hundred and ninety-six thousand in two thousand and three, two hundred and seventy-five thousand to thirteen, and last but not least, four hundred twelve thousand dollars wow. today. We'll talk about that after the break. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm joined this morning by my father and business partner, Michael McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We had some fun talking about inflation. I imagine we haven't tied up that point. But that Just was, about it. You need two minutes yeah, for that. Yeah, that was interesting yeah. talking about growth of in the price of going to taxes. Yeah. We're going to do taxes. They're okay. a little scary and confusing. But the grand finale is we're going to see what you have to do to keep stay wealthy after you pay taxes and inflation. And that'll be the macroeconomic point at the end here, okay? All right, so here we go. A couple of more things. Okay, how do you keep up with inflation? Okay, and for a moment, just picture the money that's in your IRA because it's protected from taxes, at least now, and takes it out of the equation. And by the way, just think about this, folks. If you have $100,000 in an IRA, okay, and inflation is 3%, I'm thinking you have to earn at least on your money to keep up. Okay, I know that doesn't sound like rocket science. By the way, that also assumes that you're not taking any money from that account. So if you're in your accumulation years and you want to preserve the value of your money, you have to equal inflation. By the way, if you want to get wealthier, you got to beat inflation. I'll say this again, the way that you get wealthy is to make more in your investments than taxes and inflation take away from you. Okay, but anyway... Just to keep up with inflation, you got to earn 3%. Okay. But then one other thing. I'll talk to some folks who've got 100000 in an IRA, but they're taking 4% because they needed to live on. Without getting into a lot of math, if you want to protect your money against 3% inflation while you're taking 4%, basically you got to earn 7 to be in the same place. Okay. And so, folks, I, I want you to get in the thought of what you have to do to either keep up or get better, depending on who's taking your money away, inflation or the government. And by the way, they're both guaranteed to do that over the rest of your life, and it compounds. Okay, two more quick things. 
Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Thank goodness you didn't wake up in Argentina this morning. Okay. Oh. The government of Argentina is reworking the government. I don't know, for about the 19th time in the Long last time. Yeah. yeah. Take a guess at what the annualized rate of inflation in Argentina was in 2024. Oh, my God. So what? It was like 150% or something ridiculous. 211%. Okay. In one year in calendar 2023. So if you think we got it bad, folks, take a breath. And by the way, if we don't take care of our country, it ain't getting better in terms of the inflation thing. Moving right along. Very last and very least on inflation, there's a really cool website called the S&P 500 at your fingertips. It's like a link on a website called Political Calculations. We, we, we don't do politics on this business, this radio show, so don't get nervous. But if you go to, the, if you had that S&P 500 at your fingertips, you can plug in any amount of period of time you want and see what the stock market did versus inflation. And I have a news flash for you. Over any meaningful period of time, the stock market has outpointed inflation significantly, and by meaningful, at least 10 years and preferably longer, okay? And there's a hint, folks. One of the ways that you can outpoint inflation is to have your money in some great companies, a whole lot of them, and deal with the volatility that comes along. All right, I think I'm finished on that point, darling daughter. Do you have anything to add? No, I don't. Are we going to... Uh... I must be doing okay here, then. Huh? Yeah. Ooh, well. I just no. I just want to. We're going to tie this all up with a bow at the end, right? Because I just the the great point regarding you know you need to be invested in. I think one of the points is you need to have some investments or be invested in stocks, stock like securities, lots of different stocks in order to outpace inflation and taxes and have real growth of your money. But then, but but some people can't emotionally handle or it's not appropriate for their age and circumstances to be invested all in stocks or largely in stocks because of the volatility risk that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. It's a balancing act for many people in terms of what's an appropriate level of risk so that you can hopefully outpace inflation and have growth beyond what inflation and taxes take away, as you pointed out, but also balance that with what are you comfortable with in terms of volatility on the downside, right? So and it's by the not way, as the, easy as and, just... And the, trade-off, yeah, yeah. and the trade-off to that is if you're comfortable at a certain level, but if it isn't enough money to outpoint inflation, that then you've accepted that risk. Yeah. If, you, you don't have a choice, folks. At whatever comfort level you happen to be able to say, I can own this combination of stocks and bonds, okay, there's a return that comes with that. And it may or may not be enough for what you need to do. Mm. So that, that, that's the trade-off. We make yeah. that real clear. Yeah. Okay, taxes. So anyway, inflation is cumulative. Inflation is guaranteed. And inflation is a stealth killer okay, to your financial situation in your life. Okay? You need to deal with it as best you can. And there are some things you can do about it. All right, taxes. All right, here's my Reader's Digest version of taxes, folks. Okay, yeah, this is a multiple choice question. The answer is yes or no. Okay. <laughs> Are we going to have taxes for the rest of our lives? The answer is yes. What's that mean? Guaranteed risk. Okay. So federal tax brackets. By the way, people do not understand taxes very much at all. Okay. Uh, I would guess that there's an extremely small percentage of folks listening to us who can off the top of their head know how much actual dollars they paid to the federal government and to the state government of Massachusetts in the last tax year. Okay. 
that very few people can do that. Like almost well, no one. Yeah, being, I'm being the people that the, <laughs> even the people that do their own taxes. Yep. Probably don't even really know because they maybe aren't factoring in Social Security and Medicare taxes yep. as well. Yep. But, yeah. But, but yeah, by the, by the way, the answer is, oh, I got $400 back. Well, no, that wasn't my question. How much What yeah. was the check? That you ultimately wrote. Yeah, never mind Social Security, Medicare, federal taxes, yeah. whatever. But anyway, but let's go with the big one, federal taxes. Okay. Okay, so it's very simple. Okay, I'm going to very quickly just, by the way, we have what are called stepped-up tax brackets. Okay, as you make more money, you pay more taxes. Okay, and the numbers I'm going to quote here very quickly, because it's tough to do numbers on the radio, okay, is for taxable income after you took your deductions or your standard deduction. Okay, so by the way, for, and I'm just going to do married couples so they don't want to take a lot of time here, but so for married couples filing jointly, okay, if your income is over 23200 taxable, okay, or just a bit over, you're in the 12% bracket for all those dollars above 23200 Okay, if you're married couple filing jointly and your income is over 94300 taxable, Welcome to the 22% bracket. Every dollar you earn above 94300 is at 22%. Married couples uh, are in the 24% income bracket with over $201,000, okay, in taxable income. You're in the 32% bracket, over 383000 and you're in the 35% bracket, over 487 So it gets a little higher every time you step in it. Folks, and if you're a married couple, I'll get to that example, okay, and you're literally earning $94,302, those $2 are taxed at 22%. Okay, those last dollars of things. So those are the federal tax brackets. The lowest rate is 10%, okay, with married couples with less than $23,200. I don't think that would be very many people, but I'm not sure. Anyway, so those are the federal rates. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Massachusetts rate is basically 5%. Okay, so by the way, if you're a married couple okay, earning over 94300 a year, but less than two hundred, okay, you're in the 22% bracket. So let's see. You pay 22% on the top dollars. You add 5 to Massachusetts, you're up to 27. Heaven forbid we should throw in Social Security and Medicare, but that's basically for most people... What about another up to one hundred and forty thousand or something? Seven point six five percent. Yeah, so we got twenty two, we got five, we got seven point six five, folks. Okay, that's twenty seven plus another seven. That is literally thirty four point six five percent. Okay, depending on how you want to count. Okay, that's that's a whole lot of subtraction from your money is where I'm going with that. Okay, there's one other tax that you have to worry about. It's called a capital gains tax. Okay, and I'll use either real estate or a stock as an example. Okay, capital, and I'll do a little reading here. Capital gains taxes are divided into two big groups, short-term and long-term, depending on how long you've held the asset. A short-term capital gain tax is applied to profits from selling an asset. Could be a home, could be a company you've held for less than a year. Short-term capital gains rates are paid at the same rate as you're paying your ordinary income, such as wages from a job. By the way, if you're in the 22%
federal tax bracket, folks, and 5% Massachusetts, and you make a profit in something in less than a year, yep, read, read those numbers there. That's a 27% subtraction on that profit from selling up a company or a, or a home short term. Okay, long-term capital gains apply if you own it more than a year, and the capital gains rates go from zero up to 20% depending on your income. Okay, and then very quickly, hang on, let's see here. So the 0%, if you're married, married filing jointly, the 0% tax bracket is from up to $94,050. So if your taxable income is less than $94,000, okay, you have a 0% tax bracket. Except if you have a $100,000 gain, you just kicked up into your tax bracket. Right. Okay. This is tricky stuff. Okay, the 15% tax bracket applies between 94583 for married couples of taxable income. Yeah. And again, you sell something that boots it up above that, you're in penalty land. If, if, okay, and then the 20% rate kicks in for married couples over 583000 All I'm saying, folks, is that so here's the list of subtractions from your money. Federal taxes. Okay, okay, 22% I'll use as an example for regular folks. Okay, Massachusetts taxes, 5%, and payroll taxes, okay, are basically 7.65, and long-term gains could be anywhere from 0 to 20. Hello, folks. Don't forget, the, of- don't forget the Medicare surtax on investment okay, income you. over, if you have over 250000 which is another 3.8%. Yeah, yeah, we, we could get a headache <laughs> trying to do all this stuff, yeah. and I am. I just want to make the macroeconomic point, okay, that there's a lot of subtraction going on from either what you've earned working or what you've earned from your investments, okay? And yeah. an investment return is, in our business, we're going to get into this very shortly, the only thing that counts is what's left after you pay taxes and inflation, Okay, that's called a real return. And we're going to get to that in spades here in a few moments. Okay, but my point is, macro, I'll I'll stop for a breath here. Taxes are guaranteed. Okay, you pay them every year. They're a significant chunk of subtraction from the money that you earn working or the money that your investments earn. And you don't know much about it. And it they and they subtract from your ability to either stay wealthy or get wealthier, and you have to worry about it. Okay, the risk of paying taxes is a heck of a lot more than your company's going out of business in the stock market. That's my humble opinion. The risk of paying inflation is a heck of a lot more than the same. Alyssa, I'll stop there. Take a breath. I'm sure you have a few comments. No, I actually no, I was following right along and i yeah like i said earlier in the show it's inflation and taxes my perspective is that inflation and tax as you're mentioning are the most significant risks to your portfolio but it's frustrating but it's frustrating because there's not i there's not much you can do about it people spend a lot of i get a lot of questions what can i do to lower my taxes what can i do i don't want to pay all these taxes there's not much that you can do about it you can ask your cpa your tax preparer retirement contribution deductions from that deductible retirement contributions if if you're self-employed there are things you can do write-offs etc but there's not much that most people can do beyond adding to a retirement plan to lower their taxes due. Um, There are some tax efficient investments that we can use to lower 
taxable income throughout the year on certain types of accounts, but it's people are never satisfied with that answer. (laughs) And there's just not much. And 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 like I said earlier, with inflation, other than being cognizant of where you're spending your money, what you're spending your money on, trying to make selective choices regarding things you're purchasing and consumer habits and stuff, you can't control inflation and you never will be able to. You might, you, you know, you can reduce your own spending as a result of inflation and change your lifestyle as a result, but you can't do anything about the phenomenon of inflation. And we'll always have inflation and hope, hopefully we do always have inflation in our world. That's, it's, that's very intentional that the Fed, for example, wants to have inflation. They want it to be low in the 2% range, but we need to have inflation in our economy, we need goods to cost more in the future because that means that stimulates consumer purchases, which stimulates the economy, which grows businesses, which grows your stock investment. So we need, we actually need inflation in our world to have a healthy economy. So it will always be there and hopefully it will always, hopefully it will always be there. It's not good for investments or the economy or employment if we don't, but But yeah, it's reality. It's something that needs to be dealt with and you can't control it, but you should be aware of it and invest accordingly. So again, both inflation and taxes, I'm sorry, I call them guaranteed. You can argue if you like, but they're pretty much guaranteed as risks. They're cumulative. Okay, they add up over time. If you had to pay some taxes on two dollars a day, okay, it's smaller than it would be in the future because you had to pay taxes on the on those dollars. So they're guaranteed, they're cumulative, and they're not on the top of people's minds when they're talking about their finances and their investments and their money. Yeah. Okay. And, and so that's scary. Yeah. Okay. Why we're trying to educate the planet here. Yeah. Okay. Can I, I just also want to add to my comments that we also need, I hate paying taxes too. Pretty much everyone hates paying taxes. I've met one or two people in my life that don't really mind it, but most people hate paying taxes, myself included. But we need to pay taxes because we need public safety and we need infrastructure and we need arguably defense. And we, we, and we're paying 7.65 in for Social Security and Medicare. But guess what? There's a lot of retirees that rely on that system for income and for health care. And if you're not yet, you will be one day. And we need that in our world as well. And we can complain about it all we want, but, but, but most people wouldn't have a good quality of life without, not to get too political, but without some or most of the things that we receive as a community from the government via paying taxes. So, Yeah, and, and you heard me say this numerous times at the time we've been together working. If you're in a high tax bracket, congratulations, yeah. is basically what I say. I paid X, I'm in a fairly high tax bracket. I pay a fairly large chunk of taxes. Okay, it's what you got left that counts, folks. Okay, and, and if somebody walks up to you and gives you a multiple choice, would you rather be in the 10% tax bracket for the rest of your life or the 37% for the rest of your life? Vote for the 37. You might pay more taxes, but you still got a bunch left. And so deal with it as best you can. <laughs> yeah, and fortunately, under current tax code anyway, we still get to take home more than what we pay in taxes. And that yep. historically has actually not always been the case. And in some countries, people actually take home less than what they pay in taxes. But even the highest tax paying American is paying probably no more than, what is it now, if you add in state taxes, probably no more than 45%. If you live in California and you're in your like in the 9% state tax bracket or New York or something, they have high state taxes, you could be paying upwards 
of 45%, but you're still taking home more than what taxes take you take away from you. But maybe that won't always be the case, but it's, it's on perspective. That, a sidebar yeah. on that, sidebar on that. The, those in many, in quite a few Northern European companies, Norway, Scandinavia, yeah. tax yeah. brackets are up to 70%. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and by the way, for some reason or other, they get named as the happiest places. All of <laughs> well, healthcare is, but it's yeah. all he- universal health care for everyone, yeah. right? And college, yeah. I, yeah. is college maybe paid for via those taxes yeah. as well? But yep, and it's yeah, it's a very different structure. As long as you get enough rich people, it works. That's how it works. I guess you if know. you're, I guess if you're just used to it, maybe that's, that's just the way that it is. And we're we're used to complaining about it in our country too. I don't know about in Northern Europe, but. Our tax codes change so much over time, yep. and maybe it just causes people to just disagree about it, and things yep. change, and people get angry, <laughs> especially as we get older, and we don't like change as much. But uh, All right. anyway, All right. I digress. You ready for the grand finale yeah. in an hour? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And again, it's tough to do math over the radio, so I'm going to keep it simple, and we'll go from there. But what I'm going to do is some pretty simple math. Some, some of this would be a little difficult for a lot of fo- folks listening, but it, it's pretty simple, basically. I'm going to start off with $100,000 in a certificate of deposit. Okay, so that's my first assumption. Okay. okay. And, and by the way, you can get 5% right now on a certificate of deposit mm-hmm. in many places. That's a pretty, compared to where CDs have been the last... 15 or 20 years. That's like nirvana. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's amazing. Heaven. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. So here's the assumption, folks. $100,000 in a certificate of deposit. Okay. A 5% guaranteed. By the way, I like to say when you hear the word guarantee, get nervous, folks. 5% guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. And let's do a five-year certificate because you're a savvy person. You know they're going to lower rates next week. Or By the way, you okay. can't get a five-year at 5% right now, but... You're just, this is hypothetical. I'm, I'm right? making up okay. here. <laughs> you can That's maybe fine. get 5% over annualized yeah. over nine months, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, you're okay. still going to get screwed even this way. All right? Got gonna, okay. 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 So anyway, and then the, the next assumption is a mere 3% inflation. Okay. All right. All right. And then I'm going to assume that the people who own this CD are a married couple. Okay, earning $100,000, which places them 6000 above the 22% tax bracket. So they're in the 22% tax bracket. Okay. Okay. And they're taking the income, they're taking the 5000 a year at the end of every calendar year just before the next one. Okay, for five years. All right, so I'll say this again, folks. So $100,000 CD earning a whopping 5%. For a whopping five years, guaranteed, okay, 3% inflation, pretty much guaranteed, uh, and a married couple, okay, with over $94,000 of taxable income, 22% land, okay, and they're taking that $5,000 bill, okay, December 29th of every year before the CD starts all over again because they need the money to live on. Okay. Okay. All right. Any questions so far? No. Okay. All right. So here's the chronology here. Okay. It's $100,000 now. So we got the $100,000 that pretty much stays the same because you're always taking the 5000 Well, right. okay. next year, 
Okay, when you take out your first five thousand dollars at the end of twenty twenty four, okay, okay, and you look at that hundred thousand dollars in the bank, it looks like it's a hundred thousand, but with three percent inflation, it spends like ninety seven thousand. Yeah. So let's just take a look at the capital that you invested. Okay, by the way, folks, macroeconomic point number 17 or whatever, money's only as good as what you can buy with it. Okay, and so let's see here. You have $100,000 today, and a year from now, it spends like 97. Okay, by the way, if you played that game for five years, Okay, and the, and just as the end of the time rolled over, you say, I got my $100,000 CD. Yeah, and it spends like $85,873. Okay, yeah, five years. If you, yeah. if you just focus, okay, that's the sneaky part. I still got my 100000 You don't have 100000 on what you can pay, pay with it, okay? Okay, so let's. I'll do that again, and it's just the capital. We'll get to the income in a minute, okay? Okay, $100,000 now is $97,000 a year from now. That's a 3% shrinkage in what your money can buy. $100,000 now, five years from now, is $85,873. Okay, that happens to be a 16% reduction in what you can buy with your money. You're 16% poorer, okay, five years from now. By the way, if this was a 10-year CD, okay, by the way, that $100,000 is worth $73,740. It looks like 100. That's the scam. It spends like $73,142. You're 27% poorer 10 years from now with 3% inflation. Okay. Well, how do you keep up with that? Either make more or spend less. But how many people could do that? And there are lots of folks on retired fixed incomes yeah. who are going to have in that trouble. Okay, any questions on that list? Am I doing okay here? No, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so if you just looked at that 100000 every time you rolled it over, you're feeling good that it's guaranteed and no risk. Like, guess what? If your money loses in, ten, in five years 16% of what you can buy, I think that's a risk. Yeah. Okay, and if in 10 years, okay, at 3%, your money loses 27% of what can buy. What does your life look like if that math applies to you? Okay? All right. So I'm getting close here. So now let's just look at the $5,000. Okay, the $5,000, you shrink it by inflation the first year, okay, and you pay $1,350 in taxes. There's $3,500 left after taxes, tax and inflation five years. Yeah. One in year. Okay, there's $2,900 left after five years of inflation and taxes, and there's $2,300 in change after 10 years. Wait a minute, yeah. I got $1,000 every year I take it. Yeah, and the literally the first year spends like 3500 and five years later spends like 2944 and, and uh, yeah. how, how do you... That. That's the math, folks, okay? Sorry if it's a little confusing, but you're getting poorer if you're not keeping even with taxes and inflation. And you know what? And actually, the scariest part is the math is actually really good right now based on where CD rates are compared yep. to inflation, yep. where inflation is actually right now quite a bit lower than that 5% CD because inflation has yep. come down quite a bit. Usually, the math isn't even this good, and it's, and it's still scary. It gets scarier. All right. Very, very, very quickly, yep. stocks and real estate have had a 
a long-term ability to outpoint inflation. Bonds once in a while, but not often. And money and cash and CDs almost never. Yep. All right, wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my father and business partner, Michael McNamara. Check out our podcast on your podcast app. It's called McNamara on Money. You can catch part one of this episode, which was a couple of weeks ago, as a precursor to this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. You can find McNamara on Money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.